Stephen, I know it's your show, and I know you've got a lot of questions probably, but I just got to ask a simple thing right off the bat. Are you ready? I'm ready. E leprechaun, e leprechaun, tell me an age-old secret. E leprechaun, e leprechaun, where do you hide and keep it? You started with a word, this I've heard, and now I intend to seek it. Stephen, what's the first word that comes to mind now that you're sitting down with me? Hmm. Wealth. Wealth? Yes. Wow. Tell me the story of why that's appearing right now. Because you're sitting in nature. And about, around you is this abundance. The trees, the sky... The shared, the shared communication, we've been looking forward to speaking again for a while. And there's wealth represented in that. So as the world is focused on economy and all this other bullshit, um, <laughs> wealth, abundance. That sounds like a sense of value discussion to me. Or actually more of a feeling something that yes. kind of beams from the heart you know that you're you're sensing something that uh has a sense of value to you and um no i appreciate that that you're sitting with me here outside um as i as i call it the land of inside out we're on the eastern slopes of the cascades and mm. um and uh yeah i'm mark and you're Stephen, and here we are getting to know each other. Here we are. And this is a special episode of the Spaceship Earth Mission Log podcast. Uh, Mark Smith is a member of the Design Science Studio and is a part of the Design Science Synarchy Project along with Stephen Bow and Veronica Anderson and others. And what we did was uh, I interviewed Stephen just last week um, on my podcast. And so I think it would be great to share um, with Mark as well, just in general, because you've been such a key uh, member of the community. And I was very excited when I first met you at, I think it was at a Topia event. You probably don't remember, but you were sharing your stories with me about your early days and how you found uh, your poem for a leprechaun and also your early work in technology and uh, I think you know uh, you and I seem to share a like metaphysical outlook like kind of this this very this this strange subtlety that permeates everything that is the awareness that kind of helps one to appreciate and to uh broadcast in a way and so it's fun to be broadcasting with you uh so i don't know where this conversation is going to go today today but i'm really excited to kind of bend the rules of my own my own little project my own little show and do this extra little um uh focus on you and i and the collective work that's represented by not just the buckminster fuller institute but the design state studio and everything that's cascading around that and uh yeah just wonderful to share the space with you today thanks for being here mark well thank you and i can share my sense of appreciation i think what i'm sensing in you is um what the leprechauns gifted me back in the late 70s uh was this notion of well we've got a physical equation einstein gave us e equals mc squared well the leprechauns came across uh, upon and, and and showed us 
a little bit more that that we needed to comprehend that in fact had to do with our consciousness being part of the vision of what life is about yeah and, and right. so th they provided this this equation of e equals mc omnidirectionally so the idea that evolution equals mind times omnidirectional communication and i i hear and with you now like what f almost 50 years later from this epiphany when the leprechaun showed up and and we're enabled to share this sense of life that we have and this desire that we have and this sense of the future willing us forward towards something collective that we can do together and um, so I really appreciate that you're bringing that forth through all the missions that you're interviewing folks and sharing what they're doing and helping us uh, get a sense of the bigger picture so to speak it felt really important to broaden the communication and the bandwidth for the communication about the missions because there's so much work that's being done, so much attention that's being given on not just solving the problems, but uh, the the work around, you know, what do we need to do to create a better future? And a big part of this is to join together and to share with one another. And that's on multiple levels of high value, not only do we collaborate better when we know about what we're doing, but also I think there's a shared sense of enjoyment. There's a shared sense of encouragement. It's really important that we feel connected as a human group and to nature as you know, we are watching you outside. And it was really important that we did this interview outside um, with you. Mm -hmm. And so it's been an honor to meet and connect with people who are, I don't know, I don't know what to call it. It's like there's an awareness that's building to the fact that we have a beautiful world and that we want to live in a better world in terms of what humanity builds and a question of how to do that and sort of some answers on how to do that, some ways of thinking that are different. And, um, well, I, you know, what I feel like jumping into for a minute is your, your history. Uh, I was really excited when I met you because the technical work that you were involved with um, had to do with the earliest um, iteration of email, which at that time was revolutionary. And we are here in this other very revolutionary time where all this stuff is happening so fast and l just ready to change everything. And so can you share a little bit about the seventies? Like what were you, what were you a part of <laughs> back then? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, 1970s started for me. I was 14 years old and I got to go on a school trip to Japan and, um, the Osaka World's Fair was going on in Osaka and we went there and it was quite something and actually when we were getting ready to move to the dome I found in my archive of slides um, a, a selfie with my 35 millimeter camera and behind me was a geodesic dome hmm. and um, and and that World's Fair I think it was called uh, Technology and Progress for Mankind something lofty like that and and it showed us all what was coming, the future was going to be like. Yeah. Um, from, from Osaka, we went to Hiroshima. 
And I saw the other side of that same notion of, oh, we can create anything. Look what we can do. And wow. um, so we had this whole notion of creation and destruction. And so at 14, that kind of became embedded in me of if you're going to make something, you got to be mindful of what you're doing. And and yeah. um, that was also the middle of the design science decade that Bucky had started in 1965. And yeah. um, that went on through 1975. It was also the beginning of the notions of ecology as a study and coming into the schools. My first um, the first ecology program at the junior college I was at, I wrote about landfills and no, it, no we weren't thinking about it back then. Wow. Um, and and so, you know, this is something we've had our eye on for a, a long time now. And I know it's frustrating. Why are we so far along here? But at the same time, um, I can tell you what's happening now with all these missions and these people out in, in the world who are just doing the right thing because they believe it's the right thing to do. Um, if I had a, if I called them a band, like we'd be called the super erogatory and the positive deviance band, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, right. But, you know, I, it's just so back then what was happening is I happened to be working in the trade shows where they were bringing the people that were making all the bits and parses pieces of the electronics industry and putting them together, trying to make something to replace the supercomputer, the big computers, the big mainframe, the mainframe, were, yeah, yeah, the mainframe. And so the idea was, oh, if we made it smaller, we would facilitate a different way of humanity relating. You know, we could instead of a type a typewriter, we would use this machine. And um, well, th that quickly started getting connected together into networking and local area networks. And so we tested that in a trade show environment. The first time where you could leave messages for people, find out the restaurants in the area, um, <laughs> this, this kind of stuff. It was called the special exhibit. Um, yeah. It was an Apple computer with a joystick to move around on the green monochromatic screen, right? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, so all of this stuff was going on and we were trying to produce these big national events and bring the producer, the the graphics people who were doing because there was no video. It was like big slideshows and and whatnot <laughs> with rear screen projection and crazy stuff. But nonetheless, we we were figuring out and then along came these guys and they figured, hey, well, if we put these things together, we would actually and then somebody came along with the notion of, oh, they'd be called personal computers and they would keep shrinking. <laughs> And then they would become this do all gadget that we could. It wasn't just about a phone anymore. Yeah, exactly. Here we are. Right. And yep. and so at that time, working with the ideas of Buckminster Fuller, because my buddy had just produced the world game with Bucky in 76. So in 1979, here we are. And he's like, hey, we want to produce uh, a, a communique with ideas about Bucky, about making the invisible visible. And and so it was my task to figure out how to produce that in a two dimensional poster. And we oh, took cool. some of Bucky's ideas. Yeah. And um, we, we uh, silk screened them. So each one came out different because and it was basically a rainbow. But on laid on top of that was the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah, because the spectrum as a tool 
of humanity's ability to tune into our communication capabilities has enabled us to do quite a lot of different things. Yes. Harnessing electricity and the ability to share and um, live in the newosphere now, this commons yeah. of mind that we get to share. Um, these ideals that we would be able to do this stuff one day back in the 70s came through as the story of the leprechauns, electrons, protons, and consciousness. The idea that we were huh. living with this duality and suddenly consciousness came into being and it wasn't about just being objective. We were living within it and it was our story to live through. And how are we gonna tell that? And the leprechauns came along and they said, Mark, pay attention. We've got some stories to tell you. Um, we want you to also be aware of that a leprechaun has to do with electing between the pro and the con. You're gonna have a lot of decisions right. because as you tune in and as you <laughs> learn more and as you are more refined with your abilities and your agilities to upgrade your senses and your sensibilities, yeah, a lot of choices will ha need to be made. And so the rainbow has wow. become this thing for me that has led to, um, yeah, this whole notion of um, how do we live with the idea that we can omnidirectionally communicate. And back then, I knew that it wasn't my story to tell that one day I would meet somebody named Stephen, <laughs> who would be here to help tell the stories because it's on you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate that. Wow. And oh my gosh. Wow. Just to think back to, because it's easy to forget how revolutionary the personal computer was and to see how we ended up from, from there to here. And here we are having this conversation and you're in Oregon and I'm in California and we can see each other. It's like, you know, the Jetsons. Um, I also want to acknowledge, thank you for <laughs> <laughs> I I do feel like there is a story to be told and there is a consciousness to be anchored in with this new era that we're in. It's like kind of an extension of what was happening in the last century. It's like it's it's just going faster and faster. And you made an important statement about the choice, the pro and the con. And I feel like that's the that's what we're or Bucky said, you know, it's utopia or oblivion. And I feel like, you know, we have all these tools and you, you can get really, really optimistic about the potential. You can get really, really pessimistic about, like you mentioned, the nuclear bomb. I mean, it's technology is it's a knife. <laughs> and so it's really important that we as humanity learn to become more conscious inwardly so that that reflects in the way that we're using these tools and as these tools become self-iterative, that we're infusing positive consciousness into the use of these tools so that they're learning from the better angels of our humanity and not the, I mean, and, and that potential is there. I mean, it's, you know, people are already using the technologies for, for ill as well. And I, I guess that's always been with us. But the question is, can humanity begin to... I mean, I was thinking about this morning. I was driving in with this concept of, of abundance and wealth and thinking about the, you know, economy and the recession and all the stuff that's going on. Realizing that, you know, when you start to notice the various forms of wealth that are around us and include things like conversation and just the, the basics of living, you know, what we share with each other, it requires brotherhood and sisterhood 
for us to be in abundance. We have to learn how to live together in family as a human family so that we can begin to um, even, you know, whatever happens in the macroeconomic environment, if we look out for one another, that is abundance. That is, it's when we hoard and when we wall ourselves off and we separate and there's all this division, that's the consciousness that seeds the death spiral. And so really it starts, it starts in here and then it's extended by when we bridge, when we form that rainbow bridge that we're sharing right now, that multiplies and that brings the more sunlight and the more ra- the more rainbow beams. And then, you know, all the people who are listening, who are resonating inwardly with what we're sharing, it's lighting the light and the bridges are forming and we become this worldwide family of people that are loving each other and loving the planet and that love is the light in the world that will ultimately help to shift the consciousness that is creating the outward expressions we see using technology and advancements we want real advancements we don't want these you know we don't want these harmful advancements you know it's it's really about connection yeah um you know i i think that's the thing that's most curious to me is 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 this longing for connection that that we have and the effort and energy that we've put in to be able to create and do all this so that we can feel connected yet we're all feeling a bit isolated um you know um a few things one is you made me think of uh, you were talking about technology and and words kind of like we're in the same container there and and also i think you mentioned a sword or something a knife um and and if you think about the word word and put an s on it words now take the s and put it at the beginning you have sword sword so um yeah um i think that the the word play uh you know i think that's what we talk about in bfi and the design science studio is this notion of ontological design is you know the stories we tell are the stories we may well live into right and and i think part of the challenge that we have well there's a few of them one is a just learning to use these tools in a in a healthy way what is what is our sense of value as community as kin uh you know on kinship on this spaceship earth you know as bucky put it um what are those sense of values and and how can we relate to each other when we're speaking different languages and and Mm -hmm. we come from different places and we've had different traumas and you know so so how do we do that and there's a lot of work i know there's a lot of work being done now um that's what brought me to the buckminster fuller institute in the first place was um having 40 years go by and and continually checking in like where is the leprechaun conspiracy now in its maturing (laughs) cycle of evolving into a way of telling a story so that humanity could live into a positive way of being and um along the way i've done that we did a film in 1995 called cyber city san francisco um and uh you know howard rheingold he said in that film when we i was interviewing we he, he was like uh, you know, with what's happening right now, you don't have to take your media, this one, you know, the, at, from Sony and IBM, you get to make your own. 
Yeah. And and now like we're inundated. We're, there's so much, um, you know, stuff out there that that uh, we're you know we're all almost wondering if the Tower of Babel is about to you know crumble f- because yeah. there's too much. Yeah. But yeah. yet we have these inner voices. Um, and I think you've you've seen my my um, representation. I do a lot of painting with them. Uh, drawings of these two birds that have showed up over the years. And um, I think what what I've learned of late is they're just reminding me of an old story that through the leprechauns coming through me um, have found a way to make the invisible visible, like what Bucky challenged me years ago. And and, and I think it's about the story of the story of what is being created in this this era of electricity and excite, excited sense of mind. You know, this is this is um, the challenge of our times is, OK, we all have this to say, but how do we come to a collective agreement? Um, now, what I can share with you is a story that these two birds shared with me along the way. And um, it goes something like this. Look out, squawked the first bird. Look in, cooed the other. These two birds have been following me for quite a while. They've been sitting on my shoulder, squawking in my ear about the pro and the con and the other things that we need to pay attention to. But the story that stuck with me the most, the one that I think they're insistent on me sharing again and again and again, is a, is a story that we can all almost relate to now, this generation. It's called the game telephone. You remember playing this when you were a child? Of course. And you'd get in a circle. Yeah. yeah, and you'd whisper from ear to ear. And along the way, the story would change and everybody would start giggling and they'd whisper to the next person. <laughs> they'd be like, what? What? And then it'd come back around to from whence it came and they'd be like, what? How did that happen to my story? Well, this is the story the two birds wanted me to share with you, is, is that that story didn't quite start that way. Now, I want you to imagine that whispering is from generation to generation and how the stories have changed over time and how we're holding the story of separation right now. And that is not the original story. It was never divide and conquer. It was divine and conquer. To be intuitively in accord, that's our challenge. How do we do that? How are we using these tools to do that? What's the story we're telling ourselves to enable us to vision that, to do that? That's that's what brought me to the Buckminster Fuller Institute. That's what brought me to the Design Science Studio is wondering what's up with my leprechaun kin that are now like first generation and get it and have these tools, they're grasping them. And and they're asking the big questions, the beautiful questions. Yeah, That's what's brought me here. Wow, divine and concur. Yeah, because it, it really goes down to the word, right? I mean, the word can divide. The word can be the thing in the mind that separates and everything into categories and wants to put everything in a box. And so, in meditation, a lot of times the work is to get 
beyond words and into that silent place where everything where you are and everything is and there's no there's no uh chatter there's no descriptions to be made and i feel like it is a very important insight to what is the problem that we're experiencing as collective humanity and a collective world at this time is the places where we have artificially divided ourselves from our environment, from each other. And to see things as separate or opposed that are a part of the same ecosystem that is inseparably related and I love that you mentioned the word kin, because that's the word I was looking for when I was saying family. We need to learn to become kin to one another in our neighborhoods, in our nations, in the world. And in doing so, whenever we're engaged in something like this or something like the BFI community, where we are engaged in that level of unity, um, it creates a momentum in the world that is positive. It creates a, I, I would say, like a healing in the world. And, um, you know, we're all a part of these different communities, but whatever community you feel kinship with, it's so important to belong and to participate in that. I was uh, reflecting on this idea right now. The, um, the music industry is going to be very, very disrupted by artificially intelligently generated <laughs> copies of voices. And, you know, I, I was listening to Rick Beatos um, talk about this, and apparently there was this one uh, musician, Drake, who had, there was somebody who wrote music, like a human who wrote the music, but did Drake AI. And this reviewer, and he shared this review, he was saying, you got to watch out because this guy's better than you. This AI and this writer, you should hire this ghost writer because he's better than you. And, 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 and Rick's point was like, the music industry is just about to be disrupted on Napster scale. And I'm thinking, no, it's, it's like 10x Napster scale. It's like t- just 10 to the 10th power. And what he's saying is like, my friends, you know, when they hear the, um, there was one example that he gave of, uh, a 2013 um, Paul McCartney song and somebody had done an example of his voice you know at 70 plus years old you know singing the song and then halfway through the song they switched to the AI version of him that sounds like young Paul McCartney from Beatles era <laughs> and then they throw a little John Lennon at the end and so this is Paul's <laughs> song and every and everybody's like what and and Rick says I gotta be honest all my friends when polled preferred AI Paul McCartney to real 70-year-old Paul McCartney. And so I'm just going, like, I'm trying not to spin out about this whole thing because I work in music, and I'm going, okay, this is not just music. This is going to be all over the place. And so when I got into my quiet space this morning, I'm thinking, okay, so what I'm asking, what is the antidote to this? And I'm thinking, well, you know, my pat answer is, Obviously, getting people together in person, you know, like doing real live human things. And I and then I go, OK, well, that's that's part of it. But what's the one thing that you can't copy that, you know, is not a fake? It's yourself using your own voice in community and sharing and having a voice. And so suddenly I was like, oh, wow. 
like that's the value even online when we're in these communities and suddenly we get to participate and have a voice and be a part of the voice in the community that's the one thing that cannot be replicated it can't be faked it can't be copied because the rest of the world is is entering into this mass confusion about what is real and you know if people are saying well I don't care if AI made it, you know, it's, you know, it's just, I don't care if it's the real artist or the fake artist or whatever, you know, we're kind of entering this crisis of identity when it comes to what it means to be human, what it means to be individual, what it means to be an artist and what it means to be unique. And so I'm going to use that as a great segue into the design science studio. But first... I, I wanted you to be able to respond to that because that was that was my thinking is it's like how do we get people to find their voice and to feel like they can be authentically themselves and share who they are in the world and therefore be you know kind to their neighbor and be you know the best the best they can be and and really find the meaning in life and the beauty in life and to contribute and to start to keep and care for the earth you know you can When you touch your garden, that is a real impact. It doesn't matter if a thousand people saw you tweet it. It's it's tangible. It's important. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I I don't know. I think my what comes to mind right now because I there's goodness. I don't have an answer for you. Of course, Um, that's a really big, beautiful question. Um, But the idea of personal experience. Um, I try and relate and tell story through personal experience. It's, you know, the, um, and, and I get it. I mean, back in the set, I was there when we broke trust. I mean, we just took it out at the knees because we could alter truth. You know, I was one of the first to put a, a digital image of, that was made up digitally onto High Tech Magazine. And, and it oh, was wow. like, uh-oh, here we go, you know. And then, <laughs> you know, they, and then they ask, well, what, you know, we're going to create these tools, invention called computer graphics. What what do you want them to be able to do? Well, <laughs> since you asked, you know, <laughs> so to be the guinea pigs. Um, yeah, I I don't I I just think it takes the time that we're learning to do it, that we're learning to attune back within, to slow down try and find the the where the leaks are the cracks are in in these boxes that that we're trying to be contained in and maintained in um and yeah you know i that's why i you know it's, it's like okay bring in the super erogatory and the positive deviance again it's like striking <laughs> the band because that's yeah. what it's about it's you know super erogatory is the notion of doing just doing the right thing because you feel it within you know, nobody's asking mm. you it's not a moral it's, it's just you just do it and and to be a positive deviant those are people that are out there doing those things and then others notice and then they start doing them so um i think it's through yes um yeah organizations 100%. like yeah i think it's through organizations like um the design science studio where the intention was to go out and find those and encourage them. So, you know, that's how I see it. This is what I'm bearing witness to is the story of the encouragers encouraging 
those who encourage others. And because that's what yeah. it's about right now. There's a lot of courage needed. And um, yes. with what what we have for and what we're facing and the challenges that, that you know, we'll need to to be working together on or are working together on, um, they will become, as somebody said, weirder, you know? Yeah. And uh, we just won't know how to deal with them. But if we're there for each other and can provide the courage that we're going to need. Um, so, yeah. So, so, yes. um, so bring, yeah, that's, that's my. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, so as somebody who hasn't been in the design science studio, I'd like a little window inside. Um, tell me what it's like. So it's a, it's a 144 revolutionary artists um, who are joining together um, as a part of the renewed design science decade, uh, which you had mentioned the design science decade that Bucky had started. So we're currently in the uh, Buck- the design science studio has revived the design science decade from 2020 to 2030. Um, give me a little window into, so you've done two cohorts so far. Give me a little window into what it's like to be a part of the design science studio. Like who do you, who, who, who's in it? Who do you work with? What's it like being an artist there? Uh, what, sure. what do you do? Yeah. 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 So, so first of all, finding the design science studio, um, was uh, this, the synchronicity of, of that and, um, learning that uh, the Buckminster Fuller Institute was taking a, n- a new executive director on and they were creating all these different activities like space camp and um, where your mission initiative came in. Um, that led to this um, melding of, of minds, this ideal with uh, Roxy and Nico and Faith and Amanda Joy, these beautiful people that got together and said, how can we apply the arts as a communications device, technology, social experiment to inform and encourage others of, of the paths that, that we can imagine a, a more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. And yeah. so the, the call was put out that um, they would structure it around a, the design science decade. Um, and so over these 10 years, and that um, each year they would bring on a new cohort and build upon the year before. And, um, and, and so, yeah, so I signed up for both cohorts <laughs> and basically have made a commitment to the decade and, well, to my life of being present, however I best can serve. And the, 144 others showed up to do the same. So how each... Um, shows up will will be you know um, hinted at by their expectations what they thought was being provided what they um, were asked the first question is what's your project why are you here we're Mm. pulling together mentors for you so that over nine months or so whatever it is that we'll have gatherings it happened to all coincide with the start of covid so we were all learning zoom and to be on zoom um, yeah. We would have these um, mentors come on. We would kind of break you up into subgroups. You could find like interests. Um, there was a lot of, uh, at the beginning, oh my gosh, I didn't know there were others out here. So it was, <laughs> it was creating community, which was great. Um, and that was a big sense of um, 
what what I felt was was being um, recognized uh, by by a lot of people. Um, there was, uh, you know, each but each person brought their own project, which was curious for me because. It, I didn't have a project. I was like the story of why you're all here. And I came to check in on y'all, see how you're doing. <laughs> My leprechaun kid. And, uh, and, and so, again, everybody showed up a little differently. Um, you have projects that were initiated through the synapses that came by interacting with each other during this time together. You had partnerships formed. You had... Um, projects that were midstream that were moved along um yeah that was there was a lot going on there was a lot of different platforms that we were engaging in i think you mentioned topia um yeah that was kind of this two-dimensional environment that you could wander around in and meet people and interact with them when you came in close proximity um we had uh new art city which was a virtual exhibition um, I think it's the first uh, regenerative art exhibition. Um, so mm. I participated in that for two years. Um, and um, th there was just a lot of different things happening. And then we had the big salons where we'd have an event that would culminate the year where everybody would that wanted to had a certain amount of time to share their projects um, and and actually out of that is um, how the beaming came about and mm. um, yeah please tell me about beaming <laughs> that was fun that was fun i was like i said i was i was engaged in the space camp where we met at the beginning tom chi invented the google glass he's he's on the board for Buckminster Fuller Institute. And he was giving, um, he was mentoring us on rapid prototyping. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think it was the first time, first year of uh, Design Science Studio, we had Tony Patrick speaking about backcasting. And, mm. um, yeah. and so I kind of took those two things and mushed them together. One day I was listening to Tony and I, because he came out of the Marvel world and I wrote down like in the, you know, the, like you'd see in a comic, BAM, B-A-M, Backcasting <laughs> Alliance Mediums. And I was like, and then that evolved to have an E in there because E stands for everything, right? And that's part of the <laughs> leprechaun story is, you know, the words that start with E. So this, um, so BEAM is an acronym for the Backcasting Evolutionary Alliance Mediums. So how do we get there with that? Well, so, you know, Bucky wrote a book, um, I Seem to Be a Verb. Mm -hmm. Marshall McLuhan wrote a book, um, The Medium is the Message. By the way, they both had this mm. book, had the same graphic designer. Really great oh, breakthrough cool. design. Yeah. Cool. Um, and, uh, well, the leprechaun can come along and say, be the medium. Right. Right. Yeah. I carry the message. Yes. I am part of this and I may have part of the solution and I'm going to show up yeah. for that. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so that's how this story has evolved where we, we, 
we beam. We have different ways that we project our energy. Um, that's one of the things that happened to me actually when I had this leprechaun epiphany. I was I actually had a seizure eventually, but um, I was mm. able to radiate from the heart out in every direction this electric charge, this energy that would go beyond me and then come back in, and I could pulse it, and it was really quite something to to live through that. And um, I know that we do that. We just don't know how some of us do, um, you know, and mm -hmm. I, again, I think that's all this technology and this challenges that we've presented of how to how do we communicate together. We have very subtle ways to do that that we've forgotten about. <laughs> yeah, the animals and, do it. The animals don't talk yeah. to each other in words with, you yeah. know, thousands of vocabulary uh, words to use from. They just communicate subtly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And I. I think that's, I think that's really what we're striving to figure out how to do. Um, it's the words sometimes get in the way, and we stumble over them. Or you put the S in front, you got a sword. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, not to knock words either, because it's a useful, very helpful technology that helps create worlds. I mean, look at law. Law is words. Look at computer programs. It's words. It's instructions. It's how we can replicate what we're doing to the scale that we have in such wonderful ways. Uh, words are a tool. Um, I want to define backcasting for the audience in case mm -hmm. it is a new term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can imagine forecasting is used a lot, particularly in business. Um, we, we look at the chart. We, we look over our shoulder. We see where we've come from. And we, we kind of look at the trajectory that that is taking. The where we've come from is leading where we're going. Backcasting starts with world building, with imagining, with ideating. What what do we really want? And 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 when we come together and we imagine that, then we work backwards. We take steps back. And we say, what are the steps that we need to take to arrive at this more beautiful future that we know is possible? And what do yes. we have to consider? What do we have to consider? Like what Bucky was saying, it's not just design science, it's anticipatory design science. It's what yeah. can we anticipate maybe some of the problems, some of the pros and cons that we have to learn about these decisions that we're going to make. So backcasting is an exercise to take us out of the trajectory we've been on, give us permission to imagine something different and then work backwards from there to take the steps to figure out how we might get there and work on that together. Does that help? I think that's exactly what attracted me to the Buckminster Fuller Institute and the space camp was meeting people who are engaged in that process and who have come up with actual steps to make progress in the world. And there's such a practicality to it, but also the awareness that you're not going to be able to think your way outside of our current scenario because it's too weighed down with trouble. And it's very necessary to dream about the world that we want and also to do the work of redefining our language and our vocabulary around what it is that we are acknowledging now because a lot of times the words carry awareness so when you say the war on drugs or the fight against poverty 
immediately that's causing an internal response that's causing a separation or a um, antagonism that is framing the interaction or whatever things that we're trying to do philanthropically helpfully as this us versus them you know struggle and that energy carries with it just in the words that activate the, the consciousness field of the people involved i mean if we're fighting poverty i mean what are we going to do fight it with dollars let's just throw dollars it's, yeah. it, there's not it's already like so short-sighted and it's not seeing the whole of the picture and so as we can imagine a future that we want and begin to appreciate what is on our now like that's why i love that you're outside is like remembering as i'm inside this box remembering to look out the window and see the beautiful tree that's right outside of there that is a part of me right now in this now and the cactus there's about a 45 year old cactus that's out there that is just providing goodness in this environment and if i'm so focused in here that i miss that um i i neglect to see the abundance that's all around me and i i neglect to so it's very easy to focus on the news and focus i mean there's some really terrible things that are going on in the world right now there's been some very terrible things going on throughout of all, all of history and there's also been some very wonderful things that are happening. And so to imagine a better future is not to put on a na naivete, but it's to begin to acknowledge and appreciate that which is already all around us so that we can, as we begin to move and create agency within the world, intend to amplify the, the goodness that we're able to create and modify our own behaviors not by like some force of coercion upon ourselves but by literally learning to be present and be appreciative of what we have and the opportunity we have in every moment to beam to be a light to one another to be a light to the planet to make an impact in a positive way just by being centered in joy I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't know how else to say it, but I, I just really think that this idea of backcasting, I mean, it's very easy to imagine uh, dystopian futures all over the place. And not that those things are not at play, but I almost feel like they become self-fulfilling prophecies, too. Because the things that we're busy worrying about, we're, we're busy giving all our attention to, and we're, we're busy like not noticing other things that could be grown alongside that might be the the sustenance that we need during these crazy times <laughs> you know i'm gonna leave it there but that's 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 kind of my thoughts on on that yeah um <laughs> you know i i i don't know one thing kind of stuck in my mind while you were speaking about words and and, and again the how they become perverted and to me like the the, the the one that I use an example is conspiracy. It simply means to breathe together. And and we mm. are every day engaged in the world's greatest conspiracy. We <laughs> with our environment, you know, take it in and you know, it's like I said, I'm on the land of inside out. It's comes in, it goes out and 
you have to engage with the world around you in one way or another. The, the challenge is, and this is where my heart goes out, is, is so many of us don't see a way out of the box and we're pained deeply by being stuck. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, don't, I don't have the answers. I just know there are a lot of people out there who are encouraging others to find their way out, you know? And, and I hope yeah, that's, that's, that's the encouragement that you spoke about. That's where when you meet people who are holding a vision or who know about something positive that is practical, um, like Project Drawdown. Now, there's a lot of people in climate paralysis right now of like, we're doomed. There's nothing that can be done. Well, there are groups of people who are doing something and it's very tangible something. And so it's to understand that's one of the things that helps to create the collective will behind something is there has to be a sense of possibility. There has to be a sense of this is doable uh, because otherwise people tend to curl up in the fetal position and what happens when they get out of the fetal position is a sort of sense of hoarding and self-defense and self-protection that to me is very reminiscent of every post-apocalyptic scenario you can ever think of. It's like, okay, I'm hoarding the water and I'm hoarding the supplies and I've got my guns and I'm going to protect myself from the marauders. And, you know, there's gasoline is scarce and everything is, you know, there's it's a scarcity mindset that, I mean, basically we do to ourselves. We are destroying the planet. We're the ones who are creating Mad Max scenario and we don't have to, but as an individual, it's so discouraging when you think, okay, what do my actions, how do they affect the collective? And I think you're right. We have to go in to go out. We have to understand that, well, how my actions affect the collective is, you know, like I was at the grocery store and I asked the, the checkout lady what she was studying in school. And she said, I really would like to learn about um, permaculture and ecology and I said, have you seen the movie Kiss the Ground? And she was like, no. Um, and I said, well, write that down. Go watch it. And I was like, did you know that there are camps of people who go um, to different areas that are desertified and they work together and volunteer to restore the water cycle? And within, you know, 10, 15 to 20 years, these areas completely regreen and it changes the landscape. And she's like, No. I said, well, you got to check out the work of John D. Liu <laughs> and Ecosystem Restoration Camp. Now, I don't have a green thumb. I am not so good with that kind of stuff. And I could say, well, it doesn't matter because, you know, I, I, you know, I would have to go change my life and go devote my life to that. Well, maybe that's not what I'm supposed to be doing right now. But the fact that I can share what others are doing and my enthusiasm for their mission allows that to spread and that's enough it doesn't have to be that you know i managed to single-handedly get the world off of fossil fuels you know although you know there are people in this world that are trying to do that and you know whether or not they're you know i think there's a that's that's the other thing i mean you know do we want this sort of like vertical hierarchy of just you know key saviors in the world who are trying to do everything for humanity i don't, I don't know if that's the way forward either but you know, everyone's trying to make a difference in their own way. And I think it's super important to um, to share the joy and the encouragement because you're right. I mean, a lot of people feel trapped and stuck and overwhelmed. And I think that's one of the things that being a part of the space camp really did for me was give me a sense of hope, encouragement 
an optimism, but also a sense that practically things things are being done. You know, things can be done. Yeah. <laughs> there is a proactive approach here. Yeah, and I think you know, I, that's I think that's part of the challenge. It's also part of the challenge of youth. I remember I was like, oh. I got like when the leprechaun epiphany came on me, you know, I was like, Oh, I got to tell this story. This is, you know, this is so important. Everybody's got to know. And people are like, Mark, you know, people, you know, they're going to think you're a little crazy. And, you know, you do, you know, you know and, and, but I, I think what it comes down to is look, we're, we're part of a really long thread. We're part of a story that, we really don't know the beginning and we're in it right now and we won't know the end of it yeah. and it's really the slowest story ever told <laughs> um, and you have to to a certain degree trust you know and and through my own personal experience i i do i i i i have to hold on to that i don't know why maybe i yeah. Maybe, maybe I should try living without it. It would seem odd to not carry um, the notion that just like the deer that wander through here tend to themselves and don't have jobs. and um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's... Why can't humanity do that? We've, we've managed so far. Yeah. Know, but again, I also know that this whole notion of growing into this notion, this idea of being a leprechauns—that that we have this technology, our tools—we can, we can, you know, make a mess of electrons and protons now, and, and really screw up consciousness. How how are we really going to show up? now in this story and that's what i'm looking for and that's that's what um i you know i hear people like yourself that i'm here i you know i'm mm -hmm. i'm ready and willing and i feel something calling me that's 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 also a beaming from out to within that's that's giving me an energy a courage you know that, i mean where does that stuff come from it's fascinating to me you know, yeah. that, that we actually, in the face of this cacophony of culture that's dumped on us, that we actually can hold that hope, right? Yeah. How beautiful. <laughs> Mark, what's the meaning of life? Oh, it's the slowest story ever told. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's I the love... meaning. I don't know if that's uh... the meaning, but... <laughs> I love that yeah. I love that that you know sort of gives us a little bit of grounding in the midst of this rapid technological change. I often think about Legends of the Fall, the movie where you know he grows up on a farm and they don't have light bulbs and then he gets drafted into World War 1 and then when he comes back it's a different world there are automobiles and radios and lights everywhere and it just, you know, and the airplane and it just on and on and on, just thinking about the, the tremendous progress of the last century, how fast things changed. And, you know, just having this feeling that things are 
like that now, um, but only even more so. They're going to move really fast. We're like we were like kind of pre twenty twenty in this moment that we didn't know we were in of like the world's about to dramatically change really fast. And I think the, that perspective of you know we're not going to get to see the end of this story, and we don't know the beginning. I, I think that to me that grounds me in this idea of like even though things are going fast, you have to slow down in order to gain perspective of uh, it all, you know? We can't take it with us, and, and we, leave, we leave our work to our children, and the future generations are going to be the ones who are leading the world in 50 years from now, you know? And that's something that every human has had to come to terms with, I think. Yeah, I think it feels, and I know I'm blessed with this, the, you know, where we've landed, but the, to recognize the pace of nature and to be able to um, to slow down and, yeah, to, to be within that pace, uh, it does, I know it's changed a lot for me, um, but I think that's also you know, where we are at different times of our life that, you know, we, we engage and um, the will is stronger, whether it's, whether it's we're feeling pulled by something. I, for me personally, I feel like I'm being pulled by the future. That's what happened to me with the Leprechaun Epiphany. It was like I, I was given a story of humanity backwards, but it was you everything that you're that humans are doing right now is going to affect you in the future and you're going to need to figure out what to do about that along the way and now i i was like oh shit what do i do with that but but yeah. i i really feel that we're we're at that place where a lot of people are recognizing that and um there's a whole generation that are at burnout because of it and so you've got the next yeah. generation coming in, figuring out how to, well, how do we support those that are burned out? And so there's all, the, the complexity, like you said, is becoming greater. And I think that complexity is, is a, a dump of information that that makes us feel like everything's going faster when really it's just we're not. The human body was never meant to consume uh, time this way. <laughs> no. It really wasn't. Or this amount of information. You know, I, I, I used to think about the fact that if, you know, war started in Europe and you're in uh, the prairie, you know, it may take six to nine months for that news to travel to you. Now we have 24-hour news cycles reporting on it, you know, eye on the street. And um, our bodies were not meant to constantly consume information all the time and it creates an illusion i don't want to tangent on that too much but it, it does create the illusion that bad things are happening constantly which is true but in a sense like we also have more access to simultaneous information and so you do have to have a conscientious diet of information and actually consume you know actually time off from the information or you know consume positive things that enrich you too and not just, you know, constantly engage in the negativity. Um, you know, I, I have this feeling 
that it, it's a feeling like when the native tribes started seeing the European settlers come and keep coming and keep coming it's like if, to me it almost feels like that with technology right now like things are happening so quickly and you see it happening and you're like what can I do you know but it, this is what's happening and it's, it's, it's about to overwhelm and assimilate in a way that feels very unnerving to me um, so yeah. I mean it's, not to yeah. not to steer the conversation in a negative direction but it's really on my mind right now it's like in my body I feel this sense of like yeah. urgent yeah. Well, the, and, and to be quite honest, that's that's kind of what was posed back in the day. That's how I came across the, the, the idea of the neosphere um, with the leprechaun and discovered Tealupi Harshin and, and um, the, Fernanske, that this idea that we have a collective mind. Um, yeah. But that right now there's this battle to occupy the neosphere. There's That's this, it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think the the clans that we know are like, well, we're gonna we're gonna join forces and figure this out for the good of humanity, and that's the way we're gonna do it. And then there's the the control uh, institutional government. We're gonna control this, and or there's the capitalist um, profit motive, you know, driving it all, but. We're we're battling for the story. What's the story going to be? What's the story? What's yes, be? yes, <laughs> and that's where the artists come in. That's yeah. where World Weavers comes in. That's where the Design Science Studio and the Visionaries and the Revolutionaries come in. The Revolutionaries to tell a better story and to um, seed a better consciousness that's what i was saying to steven about the art in the design science studio is you know this uh carrie win um who did a mission called um earth songs her project is to start a meta genre of music for the planet and the reason she told me that she wanted to do this was because she looked at history and said what is the thing that has changed society the most in history and her answer was music and I think that's absolutely true and so I, I would extend that to story. art yeah. artists yeah. is you know that the songs that we sing the visuals that we consume the things that touch our hearts in a way that move us even if the words are just something we're singing and we don't really think about what they are it becomes a part of our fabric and it becomes a part of the fabric of society. And that's why the arts are essential right now in shifting the conscious awareness of how we treat the planet and how we treat each other. The stories we To awaken the heart consciousness of humanity. I'm with you on that. That's, that's um, out, of, out of some of this play... Uh, within the, you know, my good friends, um, Stroopy, for example, um, you know, we, Sophie Strand has come onto the scene with her poetry and just beautiful author. And she talks a lot about mycelium. Uh, and and Stroopy and I landed on mycelium 
and <laughs> this idea of we're we're growing the story together, and yeah. um, it's spreading through us because we are the mediums, and um, um, what what we're beaming and putting out there and then receiving back is encouraging this regenerative cycle of life, and I think you know um, with good good calling to to to. to give this this time frame the notion of we're living in the regenesance it's mm. it's uh, an act of story living it's a, a way of being and it's it's an agreement with self and others and the planet you know that that um, we're sphere now it's time to it's time to 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 tend to what needs to be done yeah. Well, before we leave the conversation, uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your personal connection to Buckminster Fuller and how you found his work and interacted with it, um, especially early on. You mentioned uh, Bucky inspiring you with that idea of, uh, what was that, uh, to make the invisible visible. visible. Yeah. Please share a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, this, again, in 1976, uh, I actually rode my 10-speed across the country with my brother. Um, and when I came back, I found out uh, that a mutual friend had produced the World Game in Philadelphia with Bucky. Wow. And this is um, uh, who I ended up uh, being involved with uh, our design firm. It was called the Dolphin Farm. Because dolphins were <laughs> such good communicators, yeah. um, and so it, it was through the dolphin farm um, and working with this fellow and um, all of the stories. And he would have Bucky come down. Unfortunately, the times that he was there and he was hosting him, I was on the road because I was involved in theater at the time, putting on mm -hmm. a, a, a theater piece about um, what was happening in, with apartheid in South Africa. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, so the, the aura of Bucky, all the books and all the discussions and then looking deep into um, what he meant by making the invisible visible and then trying to understand why the spectrum was a powerful tool and um, which is really interesting now because the rainbow has, I mean, I, where we live, I've never seen so many rainbows. And not mm. only that, but my spouse, Deborah, my partner, Deborah, she's making rainbow catchers from the sticks. Um, and, and of course, that's what beaming is about. It's, it is making the invisible visible. The rainbow is that thing that we get to wit bear witness to and go, holy crap, what am I seeing? Why is that <laughs> that way? And, and it gives us the opportunity to grow from being reactionaries to becoming refractionaries, uh. to, to being able to turn the prism and look at things differently. And, and that's what Bucky, that's what I learned through what I gleaned through those that interacted with Bucky and Bucky's words uh, in his writings. I love that. And, refractionaries. Yeah, and, mm, refractionaries yeah it reminds me of trim tab so, 
Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. Except I don't, you know, I don't, Mark Smith. Like, what kind of a name is that? <laughs> Rhymes with myth. That's what I'll go with. So I'm here <laughs> to um, encourage this story that you are all my leprechaun kin that um, I've met a bunch of like-minded folks and we share this commons of mind through the Design Science Studio. Um, Bucky's ideas are living through many people. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see what's happening through the Buckminster Fuller Institute and uh, I'll be curious how things progress there with their new executive director. And um, it, it feels to me that um, there's a lot of Bucky's out there. There's a lot of Bucky-ness. Yeah. Um, I honor that, and and I'm just grateful that I had a little of him rub off on me. Yeah. Wow, that's a good thought to leave the show with. You're all Bucky's out there, and you know to empower yourself with the understanding that you know his his operated uh, thought was. You know, what can one man do in one lifetime? And I think to to unleash yourself and to free yourself of like, what can I do that I'm passionate about that is that is important? And what can we do together? Um, I think is absolutely wonderful to keep with us at this time. Mark, where can people find you um, if there's any links that you want to share? I will mention Design Science Studio at designscience.studio. If you want to check that out, the Buckminster Fuller Institute is bfi.org. And Space Camp, where we met, happens once a quarter. So if you feel like you um, want to join the next Space Camp, I would encourage you to do so and to uh, check it out. Mark, where can people find you online to connect with your work? Well, there's a fun, yeah, there's a fun um, playlist of videos that kind of tell stories and have gone through uh, aspects and shared what's happened with the beaming and with Design Science Studio. If they were to go to youtube.com slash at eleprocon E-L-E-P-R-O-C-O-N and then search eleprocon and see what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Uh, we didn't get to talk much about the synarchy, but uh, I think that uh, can be a conversation for another time. Um, I actually, I think, I think we talked a lot about synarchy. Um, the idea of how do we, how do we do this together? That's, that's what this talk felt like to me. And that's what the synarchy mm. is about is how do we do this? together? Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us on the spaceship earth mission log. Thank you, Mark, for being here. And, uh, we're on Substack and on iTunes. My podcast is the language of creativity. You can find it at the language of creativity.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, until next time, thank you for joining us and beam to the world.